Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to the final breakdown bonus episode of season two. I'm here with everybody's favorite co-hosts, co-worker Justin. You're not wearing a crop top. I'm not. I was I was wondering who was going to go first. Who's going to get the first nod of the episode? This I, is like the Abby Lee pyramid of the week. Who's going to get introduced <laughs> yeah. first? I will say we. she switches on and off. I know. You yeah. were last time. That's why I was going to say something. She um, said favorite co-host and then added that S and I was like, if she goes right to me, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> a mother likes to be fair to all her children. Lexi? Hello. Yeah. I didn't blow up. I was ready early. I am here. Yeah, you're ready we more love than I not was. stand you up. I know. Two hours ago, I was like, so everyone's coming, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you said that as I was sitting on the couch enjoying a coffee and I'm like oh I got two hours I'll be good as I was getting ready I was like oh I didn't make lunch you can't have a hungry uh, a hungry hungry Justin on the episode you don't want that you don't want that (laughs) cranky we are going to break down this week's episode which dealt with attachment issues which (laughs) we have not really dove into but we've mentioned it briefly a couple times everybody knows I have a crippling fear of intimacy Lexi total opposite totally attached at all times (laughs) needs to learn to let go needs to learn to just let people be you know separate Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Justin, I guess I would call you maybe secure. Are you the base layer here? Are you the baseline? Yes, but also in the relationship with Nicole and I, she's the one that's like more okay being away, being separate. When she needs her time to relax and recover, she doesn't want me around. Where when I need to relax and recover, I'm like, next to me right now. Like, <laughs> we're sitting on the couch. Get over here. <laughs> maybe he's not secure. I don't know why I assumed you'd be very secure. You seem like a very secure person. I am the least secure person. The Olympics that go on in my head, oh man, it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> Isn't that an Ariana Grande lyric? Is it? It's positions. It's like switching. That part is not about I'm what's going on in your head. Hoops. Do, 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 oh, jumping know. through hoops. Yeah, like I mean, the, my yeah. head does do a lot of that. switching the positions for you, Matt. Like it's something different. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was about it being be. a domestic <laughs> goddess, but I'm also jumping through hoops, meaning like I'm giving you a good time. I'm jumping through hoops for you. Maybe. So, yeah. It's like one time my mom. You know the song "Thrift Shopping" by Macklemore. Yeah, it's literally about thrift shopping. It's not a dirty song. My mom was like saying something and I'm like, mom, you're like making those lyrics dirty. <laughs> Isn't it about just getting like a coat? It's literally, literally. just about, back yeah. more, can we go through shopping? Like, but we did it. talk last week or the week before about winter coating being a relationship term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that's what Macklemore was alluding to. Oh, fancy. Going thrift shopping. So let's start with just breaking down this episode because it was an on and off type relationship at first. And everybody's had at least one on and off relationship in their life. No? Yes? Yes. No? Yes? My yeah. on and I, off. I, every relationship. Every relationship I've <laughs> and has on, been on and off. I dated a That's boy in high good. school. <laughs> my first boyfriend ever in high school was like a six months and then every relationship I've been in since I've been on and off. Why would you say you are an on and off type relationship person? Oh, I, dude, this is not by choice. So to say that I am that type of person, me, it's because I go back. I have attachment issues. I'm very forgivable. I've forgiven every yeah. mistake. Yeah, so I'm like more prone to be like, I miss you. I want to come back. That's like mm. probably like 
one of the base things of on and off again relationship is usually there's one culprit that keeps screwing things up and one person that's forgiving or tries to look past it because they want to stay committed to that person. I will say every on and off relationship I've been in, I have caused the first breakup. Not caused, meaning I've gotten broken up with. I've said, hey, I don't think I want to be a part of this. And then I've been like, well, maybe I can forgive it. Mm. So I'm usually very, very strongly at the beginning being like, I got this. I don't deserve this. I'm out. And then I'm like, wait, no, I need you. First night sitting on the couch and it's quiet. Literally, I'm literally like, so I am usually the first breaker upper and then I usually get dumped every time we try again. You have commitment issues when it comes to the breakup. Yes, I can't stay committed to the breakup. So now every time I'm like about to be like, I think I need to break up with you. I sit down and I go, how am I going to feel if I do this? <laughs> like that's, that's my new tool. How am I going to feel if I do this? The only relationship where I never once in the entire relationship thought about like, hey, we need to break up is with Nicole. So like I feel that right there, that first thought of maybe we need to break up is, is the first sign. Even when Nicole and I were distanced, there was never a point where I was like, this needs to end. Like I can't be doing this. Where my other relationships, I was like, this is causing me so much stress. Like, would it be easier to just be broken up? So at the end of this episode, I'll have a conversation with a friend of the podcast, Kat Schneider, who's a licensed clinical social worker. And mm-hmm. I, we're really going to dive into on and off relationships and attachment issues, because I think that's a really good point, Lexi, that you brought up is that it wasn't so much that it was a turbulent relationship. So you guys were just like going in and out of the relationship. It does sound like the root of it was an attachment issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas I am more like the interviewee towards the end of this episode, where it's like, if you do me wrong, I'm going to gone girl your ass. You're done. I'm yeah. done. Because I go in and out of having crushes, but like if I'm dating someone and they do me wrong. So what's like the level of doing you wrong? Obviously cheating is understandable, but like is it they had to flake on a dinner because something came up? You know what I mean? Like what's the level of where Look at the- you bringing up the, <laughs> <laughs> the time I got stood up yeah, again. Right. Really hit, really twisting <laughs> that knife in the wood. Went right for it. No, but, I, but seriously, I, I wonder what is the threshold of getting done wrong? You for know? me? Yeah. I think it's a mix of me having an avoidant attachment style mm-hmm. because I think there is a little bit of a fear of intimacy mm-hmm. because I think conflict is a form of intimacy. I think mm-hmm. to have healthy conflict, you have to be really emotionally intimate with someone because I've never really had super serious relationships. If it's happening in like the shallow part of that relationship, I don't feel comfortable yeah. having a deep conflict. But I also just don't think I've dated anybody that I felt was worth having that kind of conflict with. And it depends on the personality of how that conflict goes. Nicole's go-to if we're in an argument is to just stop talking, kind of just ignore everything. Mm-hmm. And that hisses me off to no end because what I want to do is I want to resolve it. I want to talk it through. because you're in radio, you're a communications right, guy. Like, I'm the same way. I say all the time, I just hate how you shut down when I just want to talk about it. And they're like, well, you're also big in communication. Like, As if that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Nicole is 100% okay going to bed mad at each other. And I don't ever want to do that. Like, I'm like, how are you just going to bed right now? Give us 20 more minutes and we'll be good. We'll, we'll find the solution here. She stonewalls you? She can sometimes. Does she ever come to a point where she's ready to have that conflict? Yeah, the next day. Usually okay. she needs like a second. And, oh, and really? so for me, I try to remind myself, let her cool off from whatever the argument was. And it's usually nothing super serious. I mean, we own a house now. There's a lot of stuff going on. We're financially together. So like it definitely is a whole nother level of things that you can't, I don't know, you can't just go buy stuff. You can't just go do stuff. A lot of times if I need something, I'm trying to make sure she's cool with me purchasing this said thing. And I'm kind of like, a, I need to do it right now, right mm-hmm. now. And she's like, hey, oh, hey, like I'm busy. And then that usually frustrates her. In a week. Yeah. So I know you said that you're learning, okay, like if you're in an argument and you want to talk about it now and she wants to talk about it later, do you think that that has challenged you in a good way to be better? Like, have you noticed that, okay, maybe the time is better for you too? Or yeah. are you just like, that's maybe yeah, more Because a lot of you, like, you can think about the way I said this was more of an accusation than a we're trying to 
to figure this out. Right. And that's when somebody, probably any argument, if you start accusing, they're going to immediately put up the defenses. And once that happens, you're not getting anywhere. That's kind of part of it. I've kind of struggled with the same thing. So like I am big on, I mean, you guys see it. It's like a relationship should like challenge you like in a good way. <laughs> so I used to say like when my ex would screw up, I used to tell my therapist, oh yeah, like she challenges me. And she's like, you are miss. Not you are that getting. is a challenge, but like, it's not the here's right one thing. Like I am naturally as a person, like a little messy. Like I like my rooms unorganized. My ex would be really good about, hey, like let's clean up and things like that. My therapist would be like, that's a healthy challenge. She is challenging you in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. But then when she's like cheating on you and you have to figure out the that's f- not, what the fuck happened, that's, not, that's not a healthy yeah. challenge. So one of my biggest struggles with her is she would shut down when we would argue. And I would say it's not a healthy challenge like at all. But now that I like take the time to be like, oh, I need to calm down first. Like I've noticed that's a healthy challenge. And a lot of times when I see that the defenses have gone up at this point, there's no point at mm-hmm. this point to continue this conversation. What I'll say to her is I'm, I'm going to give you space. We'll figure this out in a little bit. Like I'm going to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. I'll go play video games. I'll go in the other room. I'll just be away from you. I'll let you have your time. We just need a second and then mm-hmm. we can figure it out. And yeah. usually it's back. Five minutes later, we're like, okay, yeah, yeah. we got it. Sometimes it's just a breather. I love how your challenge, you're like, okay, she challenges me to be cleaner, but she also challenges me <laughs> by not being get, faithful to get over the fact that she cheated on me. And it's like, wow, my capacity to love is so much greater than I thought it could be because she challenged <laughs> me. So fucking horrible. Okay. And so, the worst part is we've gotten back together and she's been like, I know that podcast. You just tear me up. I'm like, yep. She so waiting for it? the day that Lexi agrees to have a breakup episode about her one day. Anyway, <laughs> one day. as a part of this episode and one of the reasons that the interviewee decided to go back to a relationship where her boyfriend was unfaithful to her was she said that her fear of abandonment was triggered. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that resonates with any of you. Have you ever felt like you had a fear of abandonment? Honestly, no. Justin, <laughs> Justin's like, I'm over here cruising. I'm confident as hell. No. I- <laughs> you know that TikTok where it's like the person who's never had anxiety ever? Yeah. Like, I bet they're just not texting me back because they're busy with something else. No, I have had that feeling before. Like, I know you're taking too long to text me back. I have had that. But from like, it's over or someone ghosts me or whatever it was, it was kind of just like, all right, well, whatever. Lexi, what about you? 100%. I see this in a different <laughs> Lexi's way. Lexi's like, uh, no. guilty as charged. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I talk a lot about, clearly, I'm, I'm going to say the word betrayed. You know, I've been betrayed. I've been cheated on. I've been hurt and all of those things. But I think the biggest thing when it comes to like feeling of abandonment is kind of like when someone feels like they're flipping a switch on you. You know, like mm. I've been in some relationships where I've been like working through problems with someone and then the outcome was like, no, I actually just don't want this anymore. I think I've told you before, mm-hmm. back in the times of dating boys, I was dating this kid who was just at like a very big crossroads in his life, pursuing priesthood or pursuing, I told wow. you about this, right? Remember? <laughs> yes. I don't know if you've ever talked about it on the podcast. For context, Lexi dated a boy in college. Right after college. Right after college, who just decided one day he was going to be a priest. Well, he knew that going into it. Like he, he kept telling me for a very long time that he felt like he was pursuing priesthood. And I was raised like very religious. So like it obviously was tough for me to be like, okay, I can't make you choose this. But when he made the decision, like, I'm not going to do that. I want to pursue you. And then couldn't pursue me because he was dealing with a lot of things. I felt very abandoned by those situations. Also was in a situation at the beginning of the year. I think it's that flipping a switch mentality. It's like, okay, well, this is like what I thought we were going to have. It's one thing if my cheating acts, like we just are realizing, okay, this is never going to work. But it's another thing when it's okay. I really thought that this was going to work out and it's not because like, I don't know, like you weren't who I thought you were. A root of the abandonment. And we talk about this is like when you're going through it, you start trying to figure out what you did to have that happen to you. And that's not always the case. Like you said, sometimes it's the other person they just checked out or it's over or you can't control how they feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that can be part of it too. Lexi, I love how your ex-boyfriend was choosing between like pursuing God and eternity and then you. But then you should be very flattered by that. I was like, he chose you. I was like, like, praying every night being like, God, I don't know what you want me to do here. Like, like, why can't 
can't he have us both? Yeah. <laughs> so, so is he a priest now? No, he's got a girlfriend. Oh, okay. And they're, and they're doing well. We okay. You know, we love I resent that it's not me all the time. Am I totally past boys? <laughs> he was going to change for me. I like, I should, I should have changed for him. But yeah, like, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this on the podcast. But like, I wasn't like sleeping with him, obviously. And yeah. my friends were like, "This, you're never going to figure out if you're like fully gay or not, <laughs> because like you're going to marry this kid, and then on your wedding night when you finally have sex, like I can't even believe I'm like saying yeah. all this. But literally, they're like, you're not even going to be able to sleep with him until the night of your wedding because like saving yourself for marriage and all those mm-hmm. things and then I'm gonna be like oh I don't even know if I'm gay <laughs> I'm like yeah, yeah. So, Lexi between choosing giving up women he's between choosing giving up God I guess yeah, not you know, God, like but, he's you got know, a girlfriend and I'm gay so. but that is true that is always I guess the counter argument to waiting till marriage sex is a big part of a relationship here's my thing yes. is the people who always say you gotta test out the car before you drive it it's always dudes and I always I feel know. like it should be the other way around I agree I, I but always I th- say it I always say it my parents have told me that again was raised Catholic and my mom right. always said you gotta figure it there out there is like a understanding the other person's body and their need not going too graphic with it but there is that after being married trying to figure that out is kind of weird I can tell that I would love to bang Chris Evans all day I don't necessarily <laughs> right. need to jump in those bones on that wedding <laughs> sure. night that knives out sweater the actual process of that certain people like certain ways and it's stuff like that so like that's the part that like maybe figure Sexual out before you're married right like if 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 you don't like that and they do, but now you're married, that's going to create some tension already on a relationship where there's going to be tension regardless because that's how relationships are. We really jumped. <laughs> Jump topics. Here we are. We're attacked. I think fear of abandonment can also manifest itself even when you haven't broken up or even if you don't feel like you're breaking up because, and I got this on Google, when you have a deep fear of abandonment, people with this attachment style tend to be very insecure about the relationships they're in, mm. often worrying that their partner will leave them and are always hungry for validation. So Lexi is somebody who has claimed this, who has been guilty as charged. Pretty sure I wrote that Wikipedia article. (laughs) (laughs) You feel like that's come up in your relationships? Yeah, absolutely. I think that as someone who's, again, taken back an ex because I feel attached to them, I do constantly have the fear of, you're going to leave me again or like, what do I have to do? I have gotten back with my ex and been like, what can I do to be better for you so that these things don't happen? You know, and if they just cheated on me because they were crappy, they just made these decisions because they were crappy and all of those things. But I've literally said, hey, what can I do so that this doesn't happen again? Because I don't want to lose you. So 100%. But again, that comes from us radio people just being such good communicators. Do you think the abandonment issue stuff can also reflect in friendships? Oh, 100%. I feel like I've had a fear of abandonment in friendships more so than romantic relationships because I, growing up, was always the yellow Starburst friend, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. The one where everyone can kind of do without, they don't mind just hitching one day. (laughs) I've literally had friendships where the switch is just flipped one day. Did you call it the yellow Starburst friend? The yellow Starburst friend, yes. Oh, Were you not on that episode? No, but that makes me like sad. <laughs> Isn't that sad? You're no. not that to me. You're pink all day, baby. Can I not be red? I don't like the red. Oh, so I, take I it as like a compliment. Pink. Oh, thank you. So growing up, <laughs> so take I a compliment. I would always be like friends with the queen bee of the group. Like I wasn't sure. the queen bee, but I'd be the friend. And so when the queen bee just decided that she wanted me out of the group, she would turn everybody on me mm. and not give a reason for it. And so I grew up with this constant fear. And I'm currently working through this with therapy. Shout out to my girl, Melissa, <laughs> for helping me through this. I grew up with this constant belief that like there was something wrong with me because every okay. friendship 
I had, one day they just decided not to be friends with me. And this would happen as a pattern over and over again. Yeah. And looking back, I've had to really reflect that I didn't do anything wrong. And if I did, they never communicated that with me. And that's not my fault. I've done something, you're upset with me and you decide you don't want to be friends with me because of that. The friendship breakup isn't on me. If I've done everything I can to work through it, then like whatever. When I got older, I remember this with my best friend, Virginia. When I got to college, I found myself creating this really unhealthy pattern of codependency where I was like doing things to try and earn her love essentially so that she would want to continue to be my friend. That's not a healthy relationship at all because then you become like somebody's personal assistant, yeah. not their best friend. That took me a while to work through. I think that also starts showing through as you get older. Your friends get partners that they then spend most of their time with and if you're used to spending your time with them and you don't have something like that also going on, you can be like, oh my God, what did I do wrong? Why are they choosing said person over me? And it's just like, I've been on the side of spending less time with the group because Nicole and I are doing our thing and a few people being like, what did I do wrong? I'm so sorry. Did I upset you? And it's like, no, nah, dude, I'm chilling. I didn't really feel like going to the bars this weekend. I didn't want to go out and they don't have that side of it yet. But I knew eventually down the line, once they did, they would understand. And I have friends that like right out of college, they got married, they had kids and I did the same thing to them. Like, what the hell guys? Why aren't we chilling? You live in Jacksonville. Like we're mm -hmm. right here. Why don't I ever see you? Now that I'm in that relationship and experiencing that, I'm like, oh, I was just naive. I didn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have my person. I'm set. We're good. I'd much rather just chill with Nicole than go out. And it's expensive. Inflation do be real. Right. Inflation That's what I'm saying. Real. Well, thank you so much, coworker Justin and Lexi, for coming on to talk about attachment styles. Stay tuned because now I have a conversation coming up with Kat Schneider, licensed clinical social worker, and she's going to help us really dive into these attachment styles mm. and what we can do about them. We are back with Kat Schneider, licensed clinical social worker, back for another slightly lighter topic this time. You might remember her from our bonus episode where we talked about high control groups and she was an incredible resource then. So it's nice to have you back, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. So we are tackling attachment styles and fear of abandonment in this bonus episode. And you're just telling me that you think every attachment style can be related to a character from The Office? Yes. I think most things in life can be related to The Office, but in particular, attachment styles. Break down the different types of attachment styles and which characters from The Office you think go with which. The first style is what we call anxious attachment. Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as the preoccupied style of attachment. This one I think of as Kelly Kapoor and Andy Bernard. If you remember, Kelly is all heart eyes. Ryan treats her like garbage, but she's like, he's my soulmate. I'm going to die if we have to be apart. Or Andy, who, again, really not treated well by Angela, but is like weirdly devoted to her, ignores all the red flags. Like she's pretty clearly cheating on him and he just can't see that. So that's where we see a lot of dependency, rose-colored glasses, and also seeking approval and validation. Very often people who are in that anxious attachment style or the preoccupied attachment style, they derive their worth from the relationship. So if they're single, they often don't know who they are. They look to a partner to fill that gap or give them meaning. It's often the partner or the person who, my partner is really into baseball, so suddenly I'm super into baseball and I'm going to go to every game and know everything about it. And they really get lost in that relationship. I can almost relate to that on like a lighter note. If you just want somebody to like you, maybe you haven't even dated them yet. And you're like, oh my gosh, they love the Los Angeles Chargers. I am going to be the biggest Chargers fan out there. Absolutely. Most teenagers are in this state. So it's kind of an immature style of love, but it's also a survival tactic because this is a person who very often didn't have a secure base. They didn't always have someone that they could turn to for that attachment. This is the person who I often see as like subconsciously thinking, where are you? Where are you for their partner? Do you love me? They might also throw out what I call love tests, ask some really intense favor. And if partner doesn't do that, they don't really love me. If he calls you a nickname he's never called you before, it's like, oh, he must be cheating on me. And what all these intense conspiracy theories or paranoias. And it's because of that intense fear of being abandoned 
abandoned that they're going to try to sort of preempt that abandonment. Leave before you're left. Almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. I don't love the term clingy, but I don't have a better one right now. You know, they might be the one who like texts the partner 15 times and why aren't you responding? Where are you? Are you dead or do you hate me? What are some things that somebody with an anxious attachment style might typically work through in therapy to try and combat that? Next type we'll talk about is the avoidant attachment. It's one of those opposites attract situations because you really see the anxious attached and the avoidant attached go to each other. So it's A, just helping them recognize red flags, accept that, and then also be confident enough in themselves and develop enough of their own identity that they don't need a partner to fill that spot in their life. They're enough of a whole person. They don't need the relationship to complete them. If you're super into sport, the anxious avoidant person is going to get really into it and start learning all the stats and facts and all that. If that was my patient, I would try to say, what are you going to do for yourself while your partner is at the Eagles game? How are you going to use that time for you? And then they might say, they didn't invite me to the Eagles game. Exactly. They must not love me. They must not love me. They're going with someone else. (gasps) The other one. And then they end up on my podcast. Exactly. Yes. It's what I call job security. But we want to really help that person to say, you know what? If you want to go to the Eagles game, that's totally fine. I'm going to do something else. FYI, Super Bowl Sunday is the best time to run errands. The stores are empty. So avoidant, this is Ryan or Angela from the office. This is the lone wolf. Avoidant attachment style is also sometimes known as dismissive attachment. This is the person who is a little standoffish. If you remember in the office when there's a scene when Ryan and Kelly are at dinner and Kelly's all over Ryan and he's like stiff as a board. Very often they have this fantasy of a perfect partner and they're chasing that fantasy and by doing so they're setting themselves up for disappointment. If it's not the fairy tale, I don't want it. Yep, I can relate to this because this is me. I am Ryan. I am Angela. Yes, exactly. Mainly Angela because I'm a cat lady, but (laughs) this is resonating well. They often will self-sabotage as well. Being in a healthy relationship and then doing something like cheating or starting little silly fights for the sake of making the partner break up with them. And what's I think really important to recognize about the avoidant attachment style is this is the person who's often hurting the most because we are pack animals as humans. We have an instinctual need to connect to others. So when someone is saying, nope, I'm good, I'm the lone wolf, that's a source of pain. That means that they are afraid to connect and we want to know why. We want to be able to help them see that relationships can be a safe haven, can be a healthy thing that don't have to be full of hurt and fear. As you're describing these, I feel like I can fit more of my masculine friends into the avoidant category and a lot more of my feminine friends into anxious attachment style. Do you see that as a trend or am I just sort of projecting onto those two? As much as I am wary of gender normativity, it is actually very common. We do see it as more anxious tends to be more female or stereotypically female, but that's also why I'm including the Angela in the avoidant type because she was in a relationship and it was a secret for a very long time. Even when Andy treated her so well, Andy being the anxious male, Angela was having an affair behind his back or she was the one who was trying to have the wedding venue that didn't exist except for at Dwight's farm. I think I watched The Office too much. What is this self-sabotaging accomplishing for the avoidant attachment style? Is it because they're just too afraid to actually end the relationship themselves or is it something that's sort of compulsive? Both. It can be a love test. It can also be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't really love me and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to push you away so then you leave me and see, I was right. I knew you would leave me. Testing them. Absolutely. And it's an impossible test that the person is set up to fail, especially because they don't know they're being tested. There's something comforting in the reassurance that, nope, I was right. This is why I don't attach to people. This is why I'm a lone wolf. The reality that I think that I'm living in is actually true when really you're just creating it. You're creating these unhealthy patterns. Interesting. This is turning into therapy for me or something I'm going to bring up in therapy later. Are there just two attachment styles or are there more? There are four. 
are. Sometimes you'll hear people say three because the fourth one was added in 1990 and it's actually a mix of the previous two, the anxious and avoidant. So I can go into, that's called the disorganized attachment style, which I can go into now. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as fearful slash avoidant. I call it the I hate you, don't leave me dichotomy. This is the person who pushes and pushes and then is like, where are you going? This is where I see Dwight and Aaron and Jan really just clinging to the person and then pushing them away or being very cold and distant, treating their partner like crap until suddenly they're very, very heavily dependent and then it flips back and forth. So what are the motives behind them being cold and pushing people away? It's a sense of safety. By controlling our environment, we give ourselves a sense of safety. By pushing people away, that gives us a false sense of control. I can control my world, but if you enter it, I can't control you and thus I can no longer control my world. So they push them away and then they're mad when they leave. This is a really confusing attachment style for me to grasp because it's like, if you're going to get upset for someone to then leave and get up and find something better for themselves, it's like, why push them away in the first place? I often liken it to a tantruming toddler. You know, the toddler who's throwing themselves on the floor, kicking and screaming. And really what they want most is a hug. They don't know how to ask for what they really need. Exactly. They don't know how to ask. They're so overwhelmed with what they're feeling inside. The most important thing a parent can do in that moment is go to the child and give them comfort or love or say, when you're ready, I'm right here. But as adults, it's really hard to do that. Every parent of a tantruming child has a moment where they think about just walking away probably like fend for yourself kid yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm over this shit i'm gone You're on your own. how do disorganized attachment styles how do they combat that in therapy it's really about recognizing firstly that that's happening we can't address a problem that we don't recognize is there so first we have to get them to understand that that's happening and then we work on identifying what is the source of the fear and very often it's the fear of being left behind the fear of getting too close and then being hurt becoming dependent and then the person leaves and then they're just screwed and so it's about helping them realize you can handle the hurt and you'll be okay. What would that look like in a relationship, either on the office or just a generic relationship scenario? How would that play out? So if we look at, you know, the Dwight Angela story, the classic love story, she is very distant and pushes him away. And then he goes with it and lets her treat him like crap. Then he suddenly misses her and realizes he's so alone and he wants her back. Perhaps a better example might be the Jan and Michael story where she's so nasty and so cold towards him until she's suddenly completely dependent on him and moves into the condo and needs him constantly, really exploits him. I can see that playing out and I can think of a couple of episodes that we've had. It's almost sort of like they start out as avoidant, but maybe they transition to more of an anxious attachment style throughout getting into this relationship. Yes. Often they let themselves get more attached to the person and those walls come down that they become somewhat clingy or they become more anxious and that feels scary. So they might then revert back to being avoidant. The other thing to remember is none of us are the same versions of ourselves all the time or in every scenario, every relationship. We all change. This type of attachment style really comes out when it's a frequent flip-flop. Okay, so someone who's constantly going back between avoidant and anxious. Gotcha. Not somebody who's really so set in their ways of feeling anxious and insecure about the relationship or pushing it away altogether. Right. And then there's the secure attachment. This is the one that we all like to think we are and none of us are. It's (laughs) the healthy boundaries, communication style, open and honest relationship. It's what I call gym the boring years. This is the person who's able to tell their partner when they've hurt them and they talk about it and then they move on. The dream. Yes. Ripley's Believe It or Not is all over this one. It exists. Maybe. <laughs> I'm told it's in the wild. We can see that. <laughs> really about being able to be confident in yourself so that a partner enhances your life rather than becomes your life or completes your life. Exactly. I, I think maybe that's why I've always been more avoidant because like the identity thing has never been a huge... I've never been like a serious relationship so I have 
haven't had the opportunity to lose myself into another person and have them become, you know, a part of my life. So my life has always just been me. And I'm very much like, stay away. Like everything's great. Don't mess it up. This is very enlightening. I think I read somewhere that fear of abandonment tends to play out with people who have anxious attachment styles. Is that correct? It is. Um, honestly, I think it underlies all of the attachment styles. We are herd animals in the wild. Who does the lion eat first? The limpy gazelle who's off by herself. We find safety with others. It might be more pronounced or more obvious for someone who has an anxious attachment style, but really it's there for everyone. The avoidant style, like I said, they tend to present as the lone wolf, but really they're the ones who are the most scared. Attachment theory within psychology, founded by John Bowlby in the 50s. A lot of what spurred him to develop this theory was in World War II, all the British children who were sent to the country to be safe from the bombs, all their basic needs were covered. When they came back, they were different. Something had gone very wrong. And the question was, what, what happened? You were fine. We took care of the basic needs, but there's more than that. That's where love comes in. These were children who were away from their caregivers, from their parents, and they were scared and there wasn't a safe place to go. There was physical safety, but emotional safety wasn't there. Mm. So John Willoughby really looked into this and attachment theory is essentially the science of love. It proves that love is a real thing. It's so beautiful. Love has been proven. (laughs) Exactly. Sue Johnson, who invented the emotion-focused therapy for couples, and I studied under her, she says, we have to call it attachment theory because if we called it love science, no one would take it seriously. So I share that history because I think that's really important to understand that this all stems from our fear of being abandoned and being alone and being that limpy gazelle that's going to get eaten by a lion. I can see how that would be almost trauma response to being like, I don't want to be alone. Love is something that I need. And so even if it's not a good love, at least it's love in some kind of form. Exactly. Let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I really identify with anxious or I really identify with avoidant. What are some steps? I mean, I know therapy is obviously really helpful for everybody, but what if someone just, I just want my next date to go well. What are some things people can keep in mind as they are entering new relationships and probably tackling these issues that they're just now recognizing? At the risk of sounding like a stereotypical annoying therapist, breathe, slow down. All of this is happening so quickly in our prefrontal cortex. We need to slow down and move to our more developed, mature brain and start to think, okay, what's going on here? If I feel that instinct to say some comment that make them think that I'm not really that interested, why is that? What is it that's causing me to feel the need to get him to say that he, like we are boyfriend and girlfriend and going to be together forever? Why is that feeling so important for me? Can I slow down, recognize what I'm feeling and be present in this moment? That's so helpful. To end on a The Office note, who do you think has the best relationship out of everybody on The Office? You know what? I might get some haters for this, but I'd have to say Karen and Jim. Karen and Jim? The pan shippers are screaming, crying, growing up right now. And listen, I love Pam. Don't get me wrong. I relate to her probably more than I'm comfortable with. Towards the end of the show when Pam was really hiding her resentment and not expressing when she was feeling insecure, that to me speaks of a more anxious attachment style. If you remember the the episode where Jim gets punched in the face and Karen says, when I found out about Pam and Jim, I wanted to have very long, intense, emotional conversations. And Roy punched him in the face. I think that was preferable for Jim. That really is that annoying, long, talk about your feelings conversation. That's what the secure attachment is. Okay, so I'm going to go back in the playbook and and check out Karen and Jim's relationship and just start Mm -hmm. taking notes. Obviously, there's a big problem because Jim's secretly in love with Pam, but that's what makes good TV. Humans are complicated, messy, and wouldn't it be nice if we just went with the person we felt safe and were almost bored by? Yeah, but then I'd be out of a job. Yeah, (laughs) same. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand attachment styles better. It's always a pleasure and I really appreciate you taking your time to explain this to us. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And if there's ever anything else I can help with, please let me know.